live from the nation's capital, which YouTube, the Odyssey app. Find us, watch us, hear us, listen to us, get your podcast anywhere. Ryan, you get your podcast. Ryan Horvath, Nick Ashew. Anywhere that you get your podcast, get the podcast. And if anybody mm-hmm. has any information on the whereabouts of one Seth Curry, please send them my way. Uh, if you look uh, on, on the sidelines over there on one of those seats. Like, is he at the game, though? I have no idea. Why is he, get, why is he getting any run, though? I, 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 I don't know what's happened to his minutes. Hmm. It, it is, he's somebody that was a starter for this team. And you got three-point shooting, all the stuff they needed. I mean, the Nets don't make sense anymore. I mean, they had to improvise. Mikhail Bridges is a star now. He's not a 3-and-D guy. He's a full-fledged all-star. I mean, I still like what the Nets have. Like, they can build around this. They yeah, need, for sure, man. I mean, these are all – none of these guys are, like, franchise cornerstones. But Mikhail Bridges, I mean, if he's their number three at some point, I just don't know. Like, do players want to go back to Brooklyn now? Like, that was cool for a little bit. Probably not. The Knicks like, are probably dude. cooler now because the Knicks are winning. See, that's the thing. The way that KD and Kyrie left, probably not. Yeah, yeah, looks that way. So, all right, Cole Thompson is the host of Just Saying It and NFL and college football reporter for Fan Nation as well. He jumps on with us now. And we are a week away from the NFL draft, Cole. I, I cannot wait. We were talking about this earlier, man. It just feels like it has taken forever to get to this point. I don't know why this year feels longer. Always a conversation about quarterbacks and who's going number one. It's C.J. Stroud. It's Bryce Young. My God, everybody's throwing out lies. Where do you think this all ends up in terms of where the quarterbacks fall, especially when it comes to the number one overall pick? I mean, you guys are in line when you talk about right now and feeling like a long off season because of <laughs> we're in the middle of lying season. It literally has been lying season since probably week 18 when the Houston Texans had the number one pick until Davis Mills decided to play hero ball and find the back of the end zone for a touchdown. So we've been hearing lies nonstop because of everyone thought at this point, it was a very clear cut conversation. Number one was going to be Carolina. They're going to get a quarterback. Number two was going to be Houston. They're going to get a quarterback. And I had been told since uh, since Indianapolis that Arizona had been fielding calls to other teams saying, dude, take the pick at number three. Like, we want out at number three. We don't want to be here. So that was for a quarterback. So the first three picks felt like it was going to be quarterback-driven. And now we're in the conversation of Houston may not want a quarterback because they were gung-ho on getting Bryce Young. They thought he was going to be there at number two. Well, he's the betting odds favorite not to be there, and he probably isn't going to be there, according to my people that I've spoken to in Carolina. And then there's the conversation of what's going to be the asking price to move back from number two, or who is going to want to move up to number three to potentially jump the likes of the Indianapolis Colts, who without question are going to be taking a quarterback at pick number four. So... What it feels like right now is that asking price is going to be the major standpoint for the Houston Texans. They said on Monday, Nick Casario, the general manager, they're not open for business, but they're more than willing to at least field calls for business. So depending on what that asking price is, they could be willing to move down. The key point is that they're not a good enough organization, despite what they did in free agency this past year, to really miss out on premier blue chip prospects. Two guys that they're very interested in, Texas Tech defensive end Tyree Wilson and Alabama defensive end Will Anderson. So you want to stay in line to go get one of those two players. And you also don't really want to help out your division rival, which would be Indianapolis at pick number four. So I would not be shocked if the Seattle Seahawks, which are a very aggressive team and need a long-term quarterback for the future. I mean, Geno Smith... He did a phenomenal job last year, but every blind, you know, every blind squirrel finds it out every once in a while, and that could be kind of Geno Smith last season, to where his success is not going to be duplicated, and they're not going to be picking in the top fifteen again. So that could be a trade destination. I think that uh, Las Vegas, depending on what they feel about with Jimmy Garoppolo, who is probably more so on the injured reserve than what we're seeing with Steph Curry right now. So I mean, we can always have that conversation. 
He also kind of is like in that conversation of maybe they're moving up into pick number two. But I do think that the first four picks are going to be quarterbacks, whether that be Houston is just trying to blindside everybody and go after maybe a Will Levis instead of a uh, C.J. Stroud, whether a Tennessee or a Las Vegas moves up to pick number three, and then naturally Indianapolis goes ahead and picks their quarterback of the litter at pick number four. Like, we know how athletic and how great and how, you know, the ceiling, what the ceiling could be for Anthony Richardson, but... You know, would you be shocked if somebody like Hennon Hooker, you know, had a better career than Anthony Richardson or was a better pro prospect? So, like, it's really weird because I feel like that I'm probably the only guy that's really high on Hennon Hooker. And by high, I mean, I I get the fact that if you want to take him at the end of round one and he was medically clear to be able to play at some point this year to maybe a team that is looking for a long-term quarterback going into an expiring contract year, yeah, so be it. There's a lot of tools that Hendon Hooker has that are going to translate to the NFL pretty quickly. I think the first thing is he mechanically is so sound as a passer. His ability just to be able to read defenses is really is phenomenal. Arm strength is out the wazoo. His accuracy is pinpoint perfect. Uh, he's able to make those throws 50 yards down the field, make it look easy. He's able to make the short stuff look very, uh, very relaxed. There's a lot of things that you like about him. Uh, and those are things that are going to translate to the NFL very quickly. The two areas where I have a lot of concerns with a guy like Hendon Hooker is the Josh Eiffel offense. Like, mm-hmm. that's Looney Tunes-style offense in the NFL. Even the best offensive minds are never going to have that moment where you have the Wiley Coyote painting the black uh, black, you know, the, 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 the black mirror road on the, on the wall to where the roadrunner runs through. You're, you're not going to see that in the NFL. Most polished offense coordinators won't even do that. And the biggest thing is also he kind of knew where the ball was going out of his hands pre-stat motion. So we have no idea what he can do when reading a coverage against the defense because they already had it schemed up to where, all right, Cedric Tillman's open. We're going to go ahead and find him 20 yards down the field. Jalen Hyatt's open. Okay, hey, just go ahead and beat Alabama. Like, that's what we're going to do in that game. But the other thing that is really important, and it's not the injury, and it's not the torn ACL, and it's not even the age of 25 years old, it's the pocket awareness. Like, he does not have, in my opinion, great pocket awareness to where he can feel the pressure and he's not going to be able to step up and maneuver outside the pocket to keep drives alive. And that's something where maybe you don't like Will Levis because of his footwork. Maybe you don't like Will Levis because of he sometimes is a little bit risky with his decision-making. Anthony Richardson, he doesn't have a great in terms of accuracy, but I do like his footwork. I do like the mobility aspect. Those are traits where I think that you can coach them somewhat out of where the pocket awareness thing is just, it's a hit and miss situation. He has to go to a team that has a very stable offensive line that's going to be able to build with weaponry around him. I would not be shocked to see him be a consistent starter in the NFL. I think he could have a very Geno Smith-type career where, depending on the formation, the weaponry, the personnel, the packages, there's going to be a successful route for him to have a five- or six-year career where maybe he's a part-time starter, full-time starter. But I don't think we can talk about him in the same light as probably a Will Levis in the right formation or an Anthony Richardson in the right formation. I mean, Anthony Richardson in the right formation is Josh Allen-esque. Um, if you work out the kinks with a guy like Will Levis, he could be a Matthew Stafford-type player just because of his toughness, his grit, his mentality, where I don't think you can see the similar similarities for a guy like a Hennon Hooker. What do you think about the wide receivers? I want to ask you about them really quickly because Jackson Smith, the Jigba, is a huge favorite to be the first receiver off the board, and we haven't really seen him in a year. I really like Quentin Johnson because of the size. He's six foot three, he's two two hundred and ten pounds, and he could fly. Who do you think the best receiver will be in this class? I don't think there's like a Justin Jefferson, but I do think there's some good talent, obviously. Who do you like the best? And then really quickly, uh, what would be your thoughts on maybe going over four and a half wide receivers in the first round? 
I'll answer the first one. I mean, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, I'll yeah. take the under 100% on this one. I think under? that there's okay. probably – I would take about – I would say probably there's about four receivers that maybe you'll see go first round. This is a draft class where, in my opinion, if you have an established number one, congratulations. You found yourself a very stable number two option. A lot of good potential players who can be difference makers for the team because of their roles. I do think that of a wide receiver one mentality – a guy like Jaspin Nijigba fits the bill. And it's because of the fact that he is such a premier route runner. Those are some traits where I just look at and I consider externalities. They have to be able to do this and you'll have the basic fundamentals to stay in the, uh, stay in the NFL for eight or nine plus years. Everyone else has a good niche to their game. I think that Zay Flowers is really good when it comes to his hands. He doesn't drop a lot of balls and he does a nice job working after the catch. I think of the size and the ability to box out players for Quentin Johnston, plus his ability to work as a vertical threat down the field, makes him a very stable option if you're trying to go ahead and play with a more spread personnel look. I really do like the route running skills and the ability to be able to create mismatches for Jordan Addison out of USC. And Jordan Addison, I really want to just hone on real fast. The thing about him is that when he was at Pittsburgh, they ran him primarily in the slot. He ran about 78% of his reps inside. They flipped that at USC. He ran about 78% of his reps on the outside. So he's an interchangeable receiver to where I think that you can line him up anywhere on the field. He's going to be able to win because of his route running skills. He has a complete route tree. But I just don't view him as a guy that can be a burner, a vertical yep. threat, somebody that can work especially well against number one cornerbacks in this year's class. But there's a lot of good talent in this year's class. I love Cedric Tillman coming out of the likes of Tennessee. I think Marvin Mims is going to be one of the biggest steals in this year's draft coming from Oklahoma, which is surprising because you usually don't lose your quarterback and get better, but that was kind of the case for Marvin Mims last year. I think that A.T. Perry has the ability to be a very good, consistent number three receiver from Wake Forest. Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss, probably the same thing. And there's some names you can watch for on day three, like Tank Dell from Houston. That speed alone is going to make him a viable asset. But this is not a class that you're trying to go in and find the next Jamar Chase. You are looking for probably a good uh, T. Higgins, but T. Higgins if he's not going to end up being a number one receiver. Or a Devonta Smith if he were to always be a number two. You're looking for those number twos. And to be fair in the NFL, look at the teams that I just named. Cincinnati and Philadelphia. The reason why they're so good offensively is because they have good number two receivers. You need to have good number twos. This is a class where you're going to be able to find that in days one and day two. And talking to Cole Thompson, BetMGM tonight. Jalen Carter is... Certainly an interesting situation given what happened off the field after the national championship game. Uh, and then the workouts where he just looked, I, I don't know, like he, he just hadn't been working out and he looked uninterested and quite frankly out of shape. In fact, looked like probably what we would have looked like doing a lot of those drills. Is he going to fall in this draft? Is this going to be one of those things where you start to see on draft day because of all the all those red flags, he starts tumbling? Or is the talent just going to outweigh all of that where a team takes him like, say, Seattle at number five? Fall in the sense of like maybe top five, yeah, I could see it happening. And it's more so just because of the run at the other positions. You got to remember that there's going to be teams that are going to be making phone calls to trade up for quarterbacks. So that pushes talent down the board. Uh, Seattle is the wild card at five. They trade up and say Houston's there at five. I think they're going to take a defensive end. But in terms of top 10, it's very unlikely. Uh, there's been multiple scouts I've spoken to. And the one rule that I've heard from countless people, watch tape. Always watch the tape. And when you see him on film the last two years, he was the guy that you were focusing in on, number 88. And this was the last year's class that featured a countless number of first-round talents in, on the defense, which uh, also had guys like N'Kobe Dean at linebacker, Channing Tindall, had uh, 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 De'Aaron Kendrick. 
And you still were drawn to 88 because of the fact that teams were double-teaming him and he still was finding a way to just focalize himself and get in the backfield. So in terms of productivity, I know that he is going to have not as great numbers as people wanted, but at the same time, when you look at the way that teams were scheming against him, they were double-teaming, triple-teaming, and he was still winning a lot of one-on-one and double-team matchups to where he's going to be able to find a home for himself in the NFL. It's the character concerns that are going to be things that teams are really going to look after, but productivity-wise and the way that he can manipulate offensive lines, physical presence, his great first step, power, bruteness, bull rushing technique, there's no way that he should fall out of the top 10. I, I think that Chicago at pick number nine, which was very interested in him at, say, pick number one, and they were trying to get phone calls from teams that want to move up to, say, pick number two or three or something along those lines. That way they could stay in line for Jalen Carter. That feels like his floor at this point. And there is a real possibility that Chicago, which does eat up on the offensive line, goes in a different direction just based off of pure talent. Uh, we only got about, like, one minute. Who do you think the best DB in this draft is? I've said for a while, I think that the most versatile is Brian Branch. He can play anywhere on the field, uh, nickel, slot, uh, free safety. If you put a little bit of weight on him, strong safety, good open field tackler. But my favorite is Joey Porter Jr. You need to have an alpha dog mentality when you're playing cornerback in today's NFL, and he screams that. He literally will go up to a wide receiver in the face and kind of pull the uh, Kobe Bryant, Iman Shumpert move. Hey, he had a good game, and he is not afraid to go ahead and physically beat you at the point of attack. He's not going to be a guy that gets a lot of interceptions, but he will be a player that causes a lot of pass breakups. I would not be shocked to see him be the name that we were talking about as an all-pro potential five or six years down the line. He's Cole Thompson, host of Just Saying It, also covers the NFL, college football, fan nation. Thanks for coming on with us, man. You made us a whole lot smarter, Thanks, that's man. for sure.